Welcome to KPOV's Critical Conversations podcast, dedicated to featuring unique perspectives, challenging mundane thought, and questioning the norm. Listen at kpov.org, on YouTube, or on your favorite podcast app. Elizabeth Rush, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. We're talking today about your book, The 21. It's a gripping, true, legal, environmental young adult story of 21 young people and their ongoing case against the U.S. government for denying their constitutional right to life and liberty. What a fascinating story. And how much, I don't want to say necessarily how much fun it was to write, but how compelling and thought-provoking. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's been inspiring to follow this case and to interview these young people and their lawyers about their, you know, ambitious um, their ambitious lawsuit. I mean, they have the biggest goal possible to save our planet, and they face the most powerful opponent, the U.S. government. Um, but they have three things on their side. They have the science, they have the U.S. Constitution, and they have this small-town environmental lawyer, Julia Olson, who has come up with a really compelling case. How did you come across this? How did this get introduced to you? Yeah, well, the case was filed in 2015. The case is Juliana versus the United States. And the next year, in 2016, one of my children was in middle school at the Environmental Middle School in Portland, Oregon. And she went down to Eugene, Oregon for one of the very first hearings. You know, I followed the case in the news over the next several years, and my thinking about it really changed from kind of, oh, how interesting, another way that youth activists are getting their voices heard, to, wow, the 21 really have a compelling case here, and this could make a huge difference on climate change. Then in June 2019, there was actually a hearing in Portland, Oregon, before the Ninth Circuit. And at the time, I was writing a, a, another book. <laughs> but I, I made the time. I bro- brought my notebook. And even though I didn't know what I was going to write, I, you know, just watching the lead lawyer, Julia Olson, make the case. And I went to the huge rally after uh, where the youth spoke about their involvement in the case. And it was just a really powerful and important moment. And you know, that's really when I began thinking about writing a book about it. I've been following, well, I mean, I guess I've been following it since the beginning, but I, I was following it much more deeply from that point on. At one point in January of 2020, the Ninth Circuit dismissed the case, and I thought, oh, no, there goes my book. <laughs> this case is over. But I also kind of knew that this lawyer and these 21 young people were not going to give up. So I didn't either. And I continued to follow them. And they filed a motion to amend the original complaint. And that put them back on track to trial. I wrote a proposal to uh, Harper Collins. Yeah, jumped right in and felt like I had to get a mini law degree to write this book. <laughs> you know, reading thousands of pages of court documents, hearing, reading the hearing transcripts, watching hours of video. And I also did extensive interviews with five of the youth and their lawyers. It was a firing and challenging book to write because, the, you know, the legal battle is pretty complex. And I had to find a way to make it clear and compelling. Um, But I kind of remembered how I was at the edge of my seat at the June hearing. So I began to think about it as like a legal thriller and and thought about how I could weave together the dramatic stories of what the youth faced in in bringing this case um, with some of these really compelling moments um, of our courts kind of deciding whether courts 
can weigh in on this huge problem that's facing humanity with the climate crisis. Well, and what's interesting, too, is looking at that the plaintiffs were ages 8 to 19 at the time. Tell us about them. How did, how did they become involved and how did they get the knowledge about this issue and, and knowing that we're not being treated right by our government? So I'll give you an example. Um, Levi Dreheim, who's the youngest plaintiff, as you said, was 8 when he joined the case. And he lived or lived on a barrier island in Florida, and he saw a map that showed that his house, his childhood home, was going to be underwater in his lifetime due to sea level rise. So, you know, he loved, he loved his home. He loved the beach, and he started doing everything he could to protect it. He was, you know, planting seagrass in the dunes to preserve the beach and raising money and doing all this. This is an eight-year-old, right? <laughs> it was actually his minister at his church who had heard about this lawsuit and, you know, knew Levi was so passionate about the env- in the environment. So um, he talked to Levi's mom, um, who talked to Levi, and he was just like, yes, I will do anything I can to save the planet. And, and that story was repeated <laughs> basically 20 other times with people, young people whose lives were being imperiled by climate change. So Jaden and her siblings, who lived in Louisiana, were stranded and sickened by rising waters from a freak flood. And around the same time, the federal government um, was, you know, leasing off the largest parcel of land in the Gulf of Mexico ever to drilling, right? So this contrast between what they were suffering and what the government was doing instead of protecting them, that they were furthering the problem, um, you know, really um, enraged the young people and made them feel like, you know, what I'm doing at school and in my neighborhood is good, but I want to do something bigger. And so, you know, each and every one of them, when they heard about the lawsuit, of course, had extensive conversations with their their parents, but, you know, jumped in with with both feet. What was entailed in doing this, the behind the scenes? I mean, there's just so much, I want to use the word, the corruption, the money, the politics. You know, when we mention climate, climate change, climate activists, it seems to be fighting words because it's been so politicized. But these kids are just wanting healthy lives, taking care of their state, the earth, the land. What is so wrong with that? Absolutely. I mean, so the case was originally filed against the Obama administration, and then it was passed on to the Trump administration, is now being contested by the Biden administration. And all three administrations actively oppose the case. And I just want to make something really clear. They don't have to. They don't have to oppose this case. They could say, yes, young people do have a constitutional right to a stable climate. And yes, the government should get out of the business of supporting this dangerous fossil fuel system. But as you, you know, as you mentioned, both Republicans and Democrats get lots of financial support from the fossil fuel industry. So while Democrats say that climate change is a priority, and in fact have done some really good things in terms of supporting renewables, both parties allow mining and drilling on our federal public lands, and 25% of U.S. emissions come from federal public lands. The time it took and the kids' involvement, I mean, that's the part I'm really fascinated with is, I mean, that this, the ages that they are now and what they're doing um, and how this just empowers them 
lets other youth know that you do have a voice and you will be heard? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, young people have a really good reason to speak up loudly about climate change. I mean, children born now will face two to seven more extreme climate events in their lives than adults do. And they're going to face worsening impacts as they grow older and as they're dealing with climate chaos for many, many more years. Um, You know, interestingly, the 21 began their work, you know, years before Greta Thunberg did her first school strike. And the 21 know and work with Greta, and they also lead, you know, climate strikes, and they lobby Congress and speak through the media. And I think what's important here is that young people are doing amazing work, you know, marching in the streets, talking to their representatives. Um, and, and the 21 highlights kind of another incredibly powerful way that young people are speaking up. They're asking courts to protect their rights. Um, no, kids can't vote. They have no voice in the political, in the, in the legislative and executive branch. They have no voice. And their constitutional rights are at stake. So they, you know, are asking the courts to tell the federal government that their actions supporting the fossil fuel system are unconstitutional. And that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. What's the status of the proceedings today? Yeah. So as I said, you know, (laughs) it was filed in 2015. So it's been eight years of a roller coaster ride. You know, think about that. Levi was eight (laughs) when (laughs) when he started this case. He's now 16. Um, so it's just been a roller coaster ride, you know, with the search for evidence and interviewing witnesses and the dramatic hearings and heartbreaking and groundbreaking rulings. So the, the case has been up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals several times, and they won all but one ruling, that one that I mentioned before. Um, the 21 have been up to the U.S. Supreme Court twice, and the Supreme Court ruled in the kids' favor both times. They were in Eugene, Oregon, all set for trial in 2018 when the rug got pulled out from them for some procedural um, maneuvering. But even when they faced obstacles, they always found another way forward. Um, So the current status is that in June, the judge ruled um, that the plaintiffs could amend their original complaint um, to address some of the things that the Ninth Circuit had concerns with. And, and that puts them back, back on track to trial. So I think the youth are going to get their trial, and I think they're going to win. And I think it's going to be the biggest step forward that we've ever seen in the United States on climate change. And the U.S. government would no longer be allowed to actively support the fossil fuel system. So this is an incredibly exciting and important case that is ongoing. Um, and, you know, I think we have a quite dramatic trial in our future. What, what, what's going to be the long-range implications of the case? And, and what specifics are we going to see changing yeah, well, you know, I, I really think that um, Juliana versus United States could be the Brown versus Board of Education of climate change. So that case, um, as you might recall, ended segregation of schools. So basically, once the court said that segregation was unconstitutional, you know, the rest of the the other branches had to put that right. And it took a long time, but it happened. So likewise... Once courts say that government support of fossil fuels is unconstitutional, that behavior has to stop. So that means 
No more permitting of fossil fuel development on public land. No more permitting of pipelines across public lands. And no more subsidizing of fossil fuels. And so, you know, this case has 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 the the possibility of turning things around in a dramatic and permanent way. And in watching this case and other similar cases, you know, the legal tide is really shifting on climate change. And I think that courts are our last and best hope to save us all. And what's really exciting is it's young people who are leading the way. You just need to get the politics out of it, get the money grub out of it. Well, that's what the courts can do. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what they can do. They can say, <laughs> I don't care where you get your money. I don't care, you know, how they, I mean, and the courts actually would say, we're not telling you how to fix this. We're just telling you you need to stop this unconstitutional behavior. Right. Well, I, this, the book is, is really good. I mean, it's educated me as well, because I think a lot of us, you know, it, like I said, it's kind of a polarizing word. And we read the the headlines, the little sound bites here and there, but but as you said, you really need to educate yourself and and then have a dialogue. But um, but it like I said, it just gets so polarizing that it, it's you just avoid it altogether. But this has kind of re reignited my interest. And then of course for these kids watching to see what they do um, when I grow up, <laughs> I can only imagine what these kids are going to be doing. Well, I think sometimes we adults need kids to tell us the obvious. You know, I think that all citizens do have a constitutional right to a stable climate that there really is no life, no liberty, and no property without a stable climate, and that their government, our government, should not be allowed to continue contributing to the problem. So I've put a lot of of hope into these kids, um, and I think their story is exciting and important and um, will be exciting and important to continue following. So I hope people enjoy reading my book and hopefully, um, you know, watching as these kids move toward trial. Well, again, Elizabeth, I appreciate this time and this work. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to KPOV's Critical Conversations podcast. To hear weekly interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical conversations and follow KPOV High Desert Community Radio on Facebook, YouTube, and your favorite podcast app.